0: Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where for 30 minutes every Friday, we talk to some of the most interesting people in the sport, and today is definitely no exception. We have a very well-known ultra runner who's done everything from UTMB and Hard Rock, and a very well-known adventurer with the self-powered 14ers, and if I may so, say so, a known artist, and I, of course, am speaking with Joe Grant. Welcome, Joe. Hi Buzz, thanks for having me on the podcast. That was, that was a. Of course, we had to do that intro in eight seconds because otherwise it'd be the whole thirty minutes. You've done
1: a ton of stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I've been doing it for for quite a while now. Um, I'd say I've been sort of in the endurance space, um, if you want to call it that, for about fifteen years. And so, you know, gradually going from actually my first race was uh, the Waldo Hundred K. So I kind of started with a bit of a bit of a long one and then kind of you know progress from there into uh different different distances and um yeah it's most driven to to ultras indeed you have been
0: but it's an interesting race record you have so you do like the moab red hot you seem to really like that one i like that one it's really good and then a a various mix and then hard rock Mm -hmm. hard rock look at that you've been second 3rd, and 6th, one of the Mm -hmm. toughest races in the world. Mm
1: -hmm. So you kind of jump over into the big stuff right away. Yeah, I mean, with Hard Rock, I was most attracted to the place um, first. And there was some, of course, history around the race. But the San Juan Mountains are just uh, really sort of an incredible setting. Um, And I love the, the kind of the history and the community around the event. And I think it's a pretty unique setting to go and test yourself um you know in in and so that that was really sort of what i what I gravitated towards first <laughs> well it's a it's a tough
0: one, and speaking of tough ones in f k t land you know you've you've done some of the biggies, of course, the self powered Colorado fourteeners you did in two thousand and sixteen, and that's thirty one days plus. And of course, for people who don't know, self powered means instead of being not only supported, you know, people driving you up to the base of all the trailheads, but you were biking to the base of all the trailheads. So you didn't, you got all the way around Colorado, 57 summits on your own
1: power. Yeah, um, I was uh, was inspired by Justin Simoni, who had done it a couple years before me. Um, and I just related to that that style where the bike felt like a, a great way to travel between the peaks in an efficient way, carry um, a decent amount of gear to be able to camp and food and all of that, and then be able to basically run the peaks um, as I normally would with just like, you know, a little running vest. And so it, it kind of a, that was a style that, that that spoke to me more than. You know, driving to the trailheads, um, I get a little car sick and uh, <laughs> and then the through hike um idea also was kind of cool. Um, a couple guys did that too, um just through hiking all the fourteeners um the whole thing on foot, whole thing on foot um, challenge there is just a time constraint of um it's a lot of miles to put on foot, and just the geography of Colorado with clusters of peaks and big stretches of kind of dirt road or or whatever in between the peaks. Um, you know you end up doing 100 miles on a dirt road that on a bike you can do in a day but on foot would take you maybe three days you know and so it just makes more sense really and you're a strong cyclist because
0: you've done plenty of bike trips and going back to the hard stuff you did the I did a rod trail challenge formerly the I did a bike which is in the middle of Friggin' winter, yeah. You bike? What was it, three hundred and fifty
1: miles? I actually did that one on foot. Oh, that was um, you did that on foot? Yeah, dragging oh, a sled. Oh, um, <laughs> so they have uh, they have yeah they have a race up in Alaska that um, is inspired by the dog sled race, um, the Iditarod, um, which goes from uh, Anchorage, just outside of Anchorage, all the way to Nome. Um, it's a thousand mile race, and then they they uh, they started a, a race called the ITI Iditarod Trail Invitational. Which was basically um, the same as the dog sled race, except for you could do it on bike foot or ski um, and and then they had the, the they had the JV. version, which is you go to McGrath, which is 350 miles. so I, I picked the, uh, the easier of the two yeah. um, oh, piece of cake.: <laughs> Although I do think both have a, a, a different um, uh, type of uh, style, where if you're going for a thousand miles um, in the winter you know, across snow and sea ice and all of that. Um, it's a bit more of an expedition type of mission, whereas a 350 miles, even though it's very long, um, you know, the bike race, I think, is a couple days, you know. So they're going really, really hard, not sleeping much. And so there is a little bit more of a compressed kind of race element to it, Whereas the 1,000 miles feels more like an expedition, and it's a different kind of management style um, when you're on such a long trip. So right. So you, in the 350, you can
0: go into sleep deprivation, while on the 1,000, not so much.
1: Right. Like, the, I think the 1,000 would be more like the 14ers, whereas the 350 would be more like Nolan's, you know, in comparison. I mean, they're, yeah, they're different, but, but that's the, the sort of comparison I'd give.
0: Now, a casual observer, including myself, might think, these are really hard. Uh, so this is an interesting topic because we know, if I may advance this thought, that comfort doesn't equal happiness. It's this odd American dream fake-out, isn't it? Right. That if we just have the car, if we have the house, if we, if we hang around and watch TV, we're happy. But even science tells us that's not true. And now you've moved pretty far away from that one. Mm-hmm. But how far have you moved? I and mean, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff, and these look really... Hard. I mean, what does this mean to you? Is this type two fun or how, how do we define this?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it, um, and it's a central sort of question that I kind of asked myself after the 14 ers actually. Um, so I had a lot of time to reflect over the course of a month and there were some extremely challenging moments on that, um, really trying, difficult, physical Um, moments, but also uh, mentally. You know, I got really down um, and then also really elated and there was a lot of fun involved. And so there's there's just basically this, this contrast of extremes. You know? and Colorado is very connected, so there's a certain amount of comfort, like I can opt out or tap out whenever I want, go to a hotel, go, you know, go to dinner at a restaurant, there's, there's all these options, or you can kind of push it really on edge and like you know, sleeping without a pad um, you know, under a tree or something like that and eating frozen burritos. And so there was a, there was a component of it that I wanted to explore on that, on that kind of outer edge. And so I con- remember
0: the sleeping without pad part. Yeah. I heard that. I said, wait a minute. <sighs> Eight ounces, bring it. Yeah. but you did, Now, was that
1: truly weight and bulk savings, or do you just want to do it without a pad? You know, um, what changed my mind on that, honestly, was a little bit of a bikepacking experience. Mm-hmm. And so I did the Colorado Trail in 2015, and this was my first time doing it. That's, that's via bike. On the bike, yeah. And it was my first time doing any kind of mountain biking or, 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 or real sort of bikepacking of any kind. That was your fr- wait, hold it, back up. So you <laughs> raced
0: the Colorado Trail mountain bike races, is your first time doing any kind of biking? Not
1: biking, mountain biking. Biking boat. Mountain biking, okay, yeah. That's a good intro. Yeah, it was a good intro. It was a hard intro, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but it really, it, it well, just... Wait, I remember yeah. this now.
0: <laughs> I remember this coming back to me. I remember the the no foam pad in the, in the 14 ers but now I remember you're using like a
1: Brooks saddle. Yeah, and a rigid bike. <laughs> um, I had the, the a great bike, um, a reed bike, actually made in Longmont here. Local bike, but uh, but I re- rode it on a on basically a cross bike with two inch tires. Two inch tires, okay. Um, and kind of showed up at the start, and everyone's like looking at me like, "Dude, you're like you're in the kind of the wrong race." Like everyone's, <laughs> you know, Aaron's in, in you know full suspension? or A lot of people with full suspension mountain bikes, and it's a pretty rugged trail, you know. Well, um, a full on a bike. Yeah, and that and that's where I could draw from um, experience in ultra running, where it's not all that different you know you're pushing the bike up the hill, um, sleep deprivation um, it's a, it's a sort of a similar kind of system that you that, that you're using um, and so yeah I, I was kind of at a point in my running career where i I wasn't really excited about races anymore, and I wanted to just do something different and the bike packing just came at the right time where I got to the start line and I, I'd done a little bit of research before on what people bring and and, and they just go, people go really, really light. Well, that's true. They do. And it's don't bring anything really. And then, <laughs> and it was, and it kind of, it was kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, wow, like this is like, if you don't bring pads and people don't bring sleeping pads, just like getting a bivy sack with a puffy. And I was like, this is, it's a little bit more of like an alpinist style approach. Oh, that's interesting. Right? It is an alpinist style approach. Yeah. Just kind of just paring everything down and being okay essentially with being uncomfortable. But is it also a little bit in the Alpinist style approach
0: where suffering is glorified, sort of beyond what you need to be more
1: efficient? You kind of just take it one step beyond? Um, I don't know. I think there might be more of a, an ideal aesthetic mm. to, you know, like this purist thing that doesn't necessarily... It's not necessarily rational. It's more of an emotional feeling of, you know, the kind of bike that you ride, the style in which you ride it. Like, style matters, you know? Style matters. And, and it doesn't mean that there's a one way that's better than the other, but there's definitely a way that I kind of relate to and identify more with. And I think that's, that was more of the, the idea behind it. It's like, oh, if I could just go... I mean, in, in running, I think of this all the time, like, you know, and Tony might be the the poster child for that style. And I think that's why it's so, in some ways he became so iconic in that space was Leadville 100, you know, a water bottle and a pair of shorts. Um, It's cool. Like you look at it and you're like, wow, like I wish I could run a hundred miles, just, you know, half naked with a little bit of water, you know? And there's this, so that's the, this like kind of ideal and, and people respond emotionally to that. And I think if you, depending on the sport or the discipline that you're in, there's just similar kinds of aesthetics that, you know, intersect. That's, that's good, Joe. Mm. Style does matter. It does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, we can almost just take a, we almost pause right there and just let that one sink in, can't we? Because we're looking at this whole thing, of course, the New York City Marathoners yesterday and for them, I'm not sure if style matters. Right. I mean, well, th- there's numbers, I and mean, it's a number, baby. And if you look at the, uh, I just looked at this graph. It's a very interesting graph. It's like a histogram, and it's the so the graph goes up with the number of people who run a certain time in a marathon for 2019. Yes, and it's all these jumpy little bars right at the 10 minute mark. Okay, and a big jump at 2:30, a big jump at three,
1: uh-huh. and a, the biggest jump is at four hours okay people are going for the number right well speaking of numbers though if you look at like the two-hour marathon yes and the question of style there like the heart of the debate is around is this a physiological improvement is as the human skip show basically better than any other human before or was the setting the context and the shoes what made that progression possible correct so we're essentially debating style and Mm. if he had done this in a race Um, in shoes that weren't debated and didn't have scientific kind of proven behind it there there wouldn't be really that debate around it it would be this sort of like wow kipchoge is just like this next level athlete which of course he is (laughs) Um, actually it's both are true but both are true but (laughs) but what's interesting is the conversation that we're Mm -hmm. having is is around like how he did it and not so much you know the fact that he broke two hours. I mean, that's the the, right. bit, the bait. You know, the first bit right. of like, wow, this is incredible. Right. But when you start to dig into it, um, we do care about how it's done and why it's done. You know right. that well, way,
0: Joe. This is great. Now we're going to put your name of your website is Alpine Works. Alpine Dash Works. Works. Well, that's going to be in the show notes. Okay, thank you. So definitely going to be in the show notes where you can look at Joe's amazing photography and uh, some blog writing mm-hmm. with amazing photography. But alpine climbing, like you say, climbing exemplifies style to the max, I think. Sure. Maybe surfing is right up there, too. But climbing, for sure, because if you want to get to the top of the mountain, you can just get to the top of the mountain. It's not right. that hard in a certain way of looking at it. So long ago, climbers had to invent these self imposed parameters, right. which are highly fluid. Yeah, in the seminal articles by Lita Tejada Flores. Remember that one? The games
1: we play. Games climbers play. The games climbers play. Right. Yeah, See? I remember. I remember you sharing that article with me, and it was. Oh. It was definitely a, a, a very interesting read, and and something that is, has certainly been influential in my outlook as right. to yeah. And so you personify that in a certain way here in the ultra
0: running FKT scene. And that you want, that the style does matter. And you want
1: the certain aesthetic to be generating some of the inspiration. Yeah, and I think that um, even within that, that, that's evolved somewhat for me, where it's like, it's not just about... Um, going as light and as minimal and as sort of pure as possible. But there, there are other elements to that. There's like sharing the experience and, and, and getting people involved in the artistic component of, say, you know, how we film it, how we tell a story around um, a certain project. And so it's, it moves away from just like the single narrative of wanting to talk about time. Or maybe it is talking about time, but it's talking about it not just in metrics, but in what it means at maybe a maybe more existential level. And so I, I like exploring um, different ways to kind of present um, projects, and also um, different approaches to essentially what matters about it, like what, what what's meaningful about um, going and testing ourselves in the mountains. So people should read your blog on the website. Then, yeah, there's definitely um, some art, and there will be coming more, uh, more coming um, mm-hmm. on that front. I've been a bit uh um lacking in terms of like my my update of my website recently um well that's because you have things to do there's a lot going on um <laughs> but it's something i definitely think is 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 i'd like to put more energy into it and it's, it's something i'm, I'm going to try and do for 2020
0: ah okay
1: yeah. well again go to the show notes or you can find it
0: with as long as you put the dash in alpine works you can find it but it'll be in the written show notes as well so Joe, this is uh, I mean, before we get to your recent project, which sort of ties this in together, mm-hmm. we can go way back, which is you were born in England. I was. And your parents moved to France, and you're fluent in French.
1: Yep. I, I, my par- I was born in England. My um, parents moved to France when I was six years old, and so I went to a French school, um, grew up in Nantes, a town on the west coast of France, uh, went all the way through university there. Um, and then did an exchange program um, in, in, in university to Durango, Colorado. Wow. So I went to Fort Lewis College. That, that's a little bit of a switch. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it was, it, it kind of amazed me that there was only five people that can go, could go. And, and everyone wanted to go to like Germany and England. And I was like, man, like a little mountain town in, in, in southern Colorado sounds incredible, you know? And so I was really, really fortunate to be able to get that spot. Um, and then met a lady. There, and um, Deanne, my wife, and um, we've been together 16 years. Wow. Um, And actually, interestingly enough, she just got a job as a professor at Fort Lewis. And so you... Well, this this, (laughs) is... Full circle. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) We just said you got going on
0: Hard Rock, not because exactly the race, but because... The route is world-class in it the is. San Juans. This is not in question. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that you jumped from straight out of France to the San Juan right. down in Durango. And now you've, of course, been living up here above Boulder and Gold Hill, mm-hmm. this bustling metropolis in the mountains, that looks exactly like a Hollywood set,
1: except it's totally for real. Right, right. No, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's the first, um, one of the first gold mines in Colorado. So th- eighteen sixty nine um, there was a couple others popping up at the same time, so there's that you know um, charm and quaintness of i mean it used to be there was fifteen hundred people living there at one point you Wow know? not that many now yeah, one hundred and eighty now so it's it's changed dramatically in that way and there's you know the scars and the, the of, of of the mining and the, and the kind of impact on the land that's still very visible um, but then there's also you know the the cabins and the inn and there's all this sort of um lore around it too. And so there's there's uh there's there's both elements that are that are you
0: just zeroed in on the San Juans and as you just said it came full circle with Deanne getting a job down at Fort Lewis and now you're back in Durango, which is really interesting. It is, yeah. So this this perspective you have, this sort of artistic what does it mean, how to present this, is there anything to be said about your background influencing that?
1: Being a fairly cosmopolitan person yeah I think for me, the thread has always been um, uh, looking for place and um, this idea of just kind of searching for root- rootedness um, when I was in France, I was always kind of seen as the you know english kid and even though I was completely bilingual and all my friends were French, it, i I never felt quite at home you know culturally, my parents were British, so at home we got and I listened to English music and and just all the, the culture was very much British influence. But then I'd go home to the UK to see my cousins. And it flipped over. And then they're like, oh, you're the French kids, you know. <laughs> and so I never really felt that sense of, of, of place and, and, and more sort of rooted connection. And so when I came to the States, and maybe it's just a factor of how this country was, you know, kind of built. and the Immigrants. Immigrants. And there was this, you know, um, a, a piece to that that I just kind of felt very much at home um, culturally and also just... Um, I, I had this kind of visceral reaction to, um, to Colorado specifically, wow. um, just very much taken by the landscape here. So that's been a kind of a thread ever since I've been a kid to just looking for home and trying to explore that idea of like, um, how to get to know the places where I live thoroughly. Oh, that's, that's good. That makes sense to me because,
0: offhand, I would never guess your background. I mean, you just are so Colorado to me. Right, right. I <laughs> think people that meet you down there in Silverton or wherever, it's like you exemplify you the Colorado mountain guy. So that's an interesting background, but it does kind of explain that impetus to yeah. present it and explain this perspective that you have.
1: Yeah, no, it's... it's um, and, and I think it's, it becomes clearer as I get older, and as I get to know I've spent most of my adult life in Colorado, um, and so th- that is also a little bit different perspective um, and I think it relates back to to running and climbing and doing stuff in the mountains where you get to know a place in a, in a, in a different way in a more I think intimate way in some ways and so I think there's a really in- interesting just intersection between you know effort and kind of exploration and, you know, trying to sort of mesh all of those elements um, out in the mountains. And, and yeah, that just really kind of speaks to me and drives me um, to get out there.
0: Wow. Interesting. Effort. You mentioned effort. No, effort is one of the uh, eight limbs of Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. Right effort. I right mean, effort. That's what, uh, Siddhartha, the Lord Buddha said with right effort is one of the eight limbs to enlightenment without effort you're not going anywhere
1: yeah and that comes back to our earlier discussion about you know the the 14 and having kind of the extremes on one side this aesthetic kind of extreme of you know and you see that with monks like going out into the woods not eating you know fasting for days meditating for days you know and putting themselves in extreme kind of hardship to sort of reach some form of clarity now the applicability and being able to sort of actualize that in daily life and society is difficult if you stay too far out on the edge um in the same time in the same token if you stay at home on the couch and don't really have like you know did you just just sort of enjoy the pleasures of kind of everyday life without really kind of getting out of that comfort zone is difficult to have that reflection too and so the idea is to kind of Try and balance the two and try and go kind of far on that edge, but also be able to bring it back into a more actualized kind of daily life. That's um, insightful.
0: I think that's very insightful. Mm -hmm. If it's one or the other, you don't
1: get the perspective. Right. You need both for the perspective to really work. And sometimes you can get misled by, by that goal, of, and, and this is where it's interesting in, in racing or projects where the goal can become so omnipresent in what you're doing that that's all you end up thinking about. And so even though you're going through all these things of you know, digging deep and, and, and you know, having to use all this willpower and mind control and all that, it's not that applicable if you actually don't think about it too. You know, it's it's one thing to be able to do it. It's another thing to think about it and be able to kind of dig into what that actually means, and then bring it back to daily life and sort of apply it. Wow,
0: nice! And this, you are bringing it back with your recent project. So you uh, just this year, back in September, you went on the Colorado Trail, which I am familiar with, of course. Yep. And you did the East to West. Uh, direction and the collegiate west variation because, you know, they, they improved the trails and now there's two variations, right? right? And on the FKT site, and some of the big trails, like the Colorado Trail, we do directions. Mm-hmm. A lot of them we don't, just to clarify for the listeners. So I'd have to clarify that, joke because there's yeah. FKT hounds out there. Yeah, yeah. And they'll look for something just to nab an FKT. Sure. And, you know, Peter and I kind of say, you know, just... Do what's right. Do right. what moves you. Yeah, you know, If, if you get an KT, that's great. Yeah. But uh, make sure you're doing it logically. Sure. So just a quick clarification there. And I think you did that. But this is interesting. I think oh, we have a little theme here. So on your your self-power of 14ers, you didn't carry a foam pad. Mm-hmm. Of course, on your Colorado Trail bike race, you're wearing, using a Brooks leather saddle and a <laughs> non-suspension bike. Now, on this one, you were carrying an SLR camera, were you not?
1: I, uh, yeah, well, actually, I was carrying a little uh, film point-and-shoot. It was a film camera, Yeah, not digital. Not digital. So you handled these little rolls of plastic you were schlepping around. I did, one roll a day. Um, so I, the, the, the idea was to do it a little bit differently this time. So I've done a lot of things by myself. And um, I love that aspect of being alone in the mountains and doing these projects by myself. And I think there's a really interesting component in learning um, by doing things by yourself. Um, but I also think that it's, it's pretty awesome to share experiences. And so I wanted to bring in um, some of my friends to kind of take part in this project. Um, and not just in supporting me. Doing it, but also that they would kind of fully become a part of the project. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's like that uh, pacer argument at hundred. Some people
0: just hate pacers, mm -hmm. but other people say, "Well, heck, you know, your friends, your family. Let's let's
1: let them on board. Let's have fun." Yeah. Yeah, and I think both are both are great. It just depends on the type of experience you want. And so here it was, you know, I brought in a, a couple. Uh, Forrest Woodward is a photographer, and uh, Brendan Davis, who's a local yes. um, guy, and so also a photographer. And then my friend Chris Parker, um, who um, is a musician. And so the idea was that um, Forrest, Brendan, and myself would make photographs. Um, Brendan Forrest was also filming on a 16 millimeter Bolex camera. Wow! Um, and Chris was uh, wrote an album, um, a short he EP. Wrote an album, short EP, five songs. Wow! Inspired by the experience, um, and so our goal was to is to kind of give a a, a portrait of the trail, um, not just me running, but also the community, uh, the communities around the trail, and the landscape. And so the idea is to really give people an experience where they can sort of here's an impression of what it's like to be on the trail this is next level yeah so were you hucking big air off of cornices (laughs) that too oh Um, you were no (laughs) there was actually I mean this this is part of the reason I did I was going to do it in July but we had such a large like an insane snow season that um that you know I had to do it in September Uh Um, well if you're not hucking big air it's not going to go to the Banff Festival of Mountain Film is it well, I don't know. We might make a cool little, so we're going to make a, hopefully a, try and make a music video for one of Chris's songs wow. um, using the footage. Wow. Um, of course, it, there's more uncertainty when you're using, you can't play back immediately. So we're still kind of processing um, the images and seeing you know, what we have. Um, and I think that was part of the intent was to kind of set the context. And then kind of see what happens. So we had these general threads and ideas of what we wanted to show, but also didn't want to restrict that too much. And You have your work cut out for you this winter. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> is <laughs> well, there a working title? Uh, home to Home. Home to Home, oh, man. Because Home in the Front Range to Home in the San Juans. Whoa, this is <laughs> shivers, shivers down
0: my spine. This is good, Joe.
1: Well, and the, you know, the Colorado Trail to me is the artery of the state. You know, it's this... It's this you know, it runs from Denver to Durango, and you really sort of transect the entire state. You know, save a little bit up north there, but you do get a changing environment that's pretty remarkable. From you know this kind of urban, quite deserty uh, setting in, in in the Front Range, leaving Denver to the you know this subalpine kind of you know section through. Like Mount Massive area and then kind of Twin Lakes and and then once you're on that West Collegiate side, you're on the Continental Divide and so you're in real high alpine and of course finishing down south with like the Weminuche and the San Juans and there's just this kind of amazing progression of 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 how things um change over there and so the idea is yeah really to try and um, show that and and. Yeah, that's, that's home what, to home, home to home. Whoa, <laughs> this is this is amazing. And so, should people just follow your website, or how should people track this project? Yeah, this will be, and so there hasn't been much. Um, I, I haven't, we haven't put much out there yet, um, if at all, really, on the project. Partly because this is idea of deferred gratification. You know, we want to work on all of the pieces and then kind of slow release it. Um, and we're also going to do a set of. Um, um, basically shows where it won't be online. And so people can come and experience the work um, at a live show.
0: Or well, uh, person to person.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> I have roots like that. And people say, can you send
0: me a GPS track?" I said, no. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to do it. Right. It's pers- I'll happy. I will go out there. We'll do it together. You can show anyone you want. Yeah. But I'm not going to
1: send a GPX track. Right. It's you can't crazy. reveal everything because it's like it's not so much about trying to hold things, you know, uh, secretive, but it's also trying to be, well, but that's part of the that's part of the magic. You know, that's part of getting out on the trail. And like it, it's my experience is my own. And then you're going to have a different experience. And the fact that we can both go and do that and exchange on it, I think, is what's really compelling about the whole thing.
0: Right. Right. The world kind of becomes a bigger place once again. Right. You know, with the internet and everything, this information being everywhere. Some people say the world's become a real small place, and that's kind of awkward. And so by just sharing it in person, the world became bigger again. Right. You know, it's like... One person's experience, what's your experience? Passing it along word of mouth almost.
1: Exactly. This is yeah. good. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, I'm too, actually. It's, Make sure you invite me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, normally at this point, I, uh, in the podcast, we say, what's next? Boy, you almost told me what's next, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway. Obviously, you have your work cut out for you this winter with uh, uh, home to
1: home. Yeah, but is there any other FKT or other type projects you're thinking of? Yeah, I mean, this is certainly going to take a lot of time, and especially in terms of planning for next summer, I'm going to have to. If we're going to do a number of these shows, and just that's going to have to be worked into the to the whole, you know, um, plan. Um, in the immediate future, um, I'm going to Thailand on Friday. Oh, um, to run a hundred miler there. There's a hundred miler in Thailand. There's a hundred miler in northern Thailand, um, um, outside of Chiang Mai. Right, famous, and, famous Buddhist capital. Yeah. So, so it's it's a very I've never been to Thailand, um, and uh, there's uh, just a lot of kind of wonderful people that I've met that that have. Um, Invited me to this race, and you might have remembered the uh, a couple couple years back. There was those kids that got stuck in a oh, yeah. in a cave um, in Thailand. Oh yeah, no, it was the uh, soccer team. The soccer
0: team, and they went exploring. They went in the cave. The tide came up. The rain came up, and they couldn't get out there.
1: Trapped in an air pocket for like five days. Right, and so the the part of the um, the crew that that rescued those kids. Was uh, they're from the UK? There's a diving team from the the UK. The diving team was from the UK, but in Thailand, Uh um, were this the Black Diamond kind of Thailand crew? Uh and this guy Josh Morris was—he's married to a Thai lady, and um, basically he was the one who kind of helped coordinate this whole rescue effort in terms of the logistics and all of that. And what was incredible is that you know, speaking culturally, you know, he he had. Um, access to sort of the, you know, the the Thai side of things. And because there's a, it's difficult to, you know, you 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 have can't just walk in there and tell people what to do. Right. And that was part of the difficulty is they had a lot of experts coming in. um, But it's a massively complex rescue mission. And there needs to be a lot of kind of on the ground coordination. And so, you know, Josh was really instrumental in kind of making all that happen. And, um, I was talking with him last spring and we just kind of really hit it off on, on, on that. And so, um, yeah, he invited me to, to, to come up and, and do some running there. So, wow, pretty Thailand. exciting. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a lot warmer than it is here in Colorado. Certainly right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not too bad, I think, at this time of year relative to how hot it can get. but um, And it's a little higher up in the mountains there. So, it'd be, uh, yeah. I think, in the 80s during the race. So, not horrendously hot hopefully (laughs) right (laughs) yeah right
0: okay thailand in a week yeah and then home to home post-production over the uh, winter yeah and we definitely want to stay in touch on this
1: yeah absolutely yeah well
0: joe this has been a lovely conversation i appreciate that do you have anything to offer i mean you're you're so insightful you've experienced a lot of different things here this is a bizarre question. Okay. Was there anything you just want to tell people listening to this podcast, like
1: do this, don't do that? Or what do you think? Um, I would say just um, you know, do um just follow your curiosity, you know, and that's I think been one of the biggest drives for me in just in life in general, is to just be curious about things, whether it's, you know, running or places or cooking or you know, whatever activity that is. Um, I think curiosity is a really big driver. And so getting you know, more caught up in that and rather than you know, some of the, um, the you know, checking things off the list, um, I think will kind of lead to maybe a more um, interesting experience. Excellent, Joel. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Buzz.